the scripture. And uh, go ahead and grab your Bible and open it to Matthew chapter 28 and stand as we uh, look together at God's word. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 16 through 20. That's on page 835 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. And remember as we read, we're reading God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's God's word. You may be seated. Well, today marks the final message in this series that we've been doing, Building a Stronger Church. Let me just tell you where we're headed from here. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a study of the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is going to be a three-week series, and um, if you have a Bible that sort of has a crispy part in the middle, uh, Habakkuk is somewhere in there, and um, so probably most of us are not super familiar with Habakkuk, but I think it'll be a really great uh, way to kind of prepare for Easter and and really um, come off of Uh, looking at how do we continue to trust God in a deeper way. So that's where we'll head. And then we'd love to have you join us for Good Friday and for Easter. Good Friday is going to be March 29th. We're less than a month away from that weekend. And we'll have services at 5 and at 6.30. There'll be child care at both of those. And they should be, like Good Friday in particular, will be a really different kind of service, but very reflective and kind of somber and a good opportunity to really grow in your appreciation for what Christ did on the cross uh, for us. And so then uh, Easter Sunday, we'd love for you to be part of that as well and to invite friends and family. We'll have three services for Easter Sunday, different times. There'll be 8 o'clock, 9.45, and 11.30. 8 o'clock, 9.45, We'll have some invite cards next week as well that you can begin to hand out and use to invite some people. I've been praying for a number of people that I'm planning to invite uh, to join us for Easter, and I hope you're doing that as well. Easter just sneaks up on us, and so that's where we're headed. And then after Easter, we'll start a study of the book of Romans that'll last a couple of years. So that's where we're headed. I'm not kidding. It will literally last a couple of years and will be um, just really great, I think. So we'll see like a quarter of the year into it, you're going to be like, how much more of this do we got left? That's where we're headed. Today we finish this series, Building a Stronger Church. We've uh, had the opportunity as a gateway congregation for me to really kind of preach my heart about what I think God wants us as a congregation to experience and to grow in. And what we've said from the beginning of this series is that we will grow as a stronger church to the degree that each of our faith, uh, each person's faith grows. Jesus got really amazed, really marveled at people who had faith. And the reason is because faith is really about trust. And trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. And so Jesus wants our trust in him to deepen. So each week of the series, we've looked at different things that help our trust in him grow. And this week, we're going to look at a final thing um, that I think is underappreciated as an element for something that really grows our faith. I don't think this is something we think about 
nearly as much as we uh, can and as we should. Uh, here's kind of a way to introduce this, I guess. Um, and this is a question really for all of you, but especially for those of you who are a bit more entrepreneurial. Some of you have started businesses, you're self-employed, you kind of have ideas and inventions and things like that. I want you to imagine for a moment that you had an idea, you had a product or a service that you wanted to, to impact people all over the world. You wanted customers all over the world. You wanted buy-in all over the world. You wanted people everywhere in this global world to know about your organization. What would you do to get the word out? What would you do to make it happen? Well, now in our age, it's an interesting question because you have the internet and you have social media and you have... uh, you have the ability to web conference and do TV and radio and all sorts of things like that. But now imagine for a moment that you don't have any of that. Imagine that there's no electricity and there's no plane travel and there's no computers and there's no superhighways. There's no running water or plumbing. What do you do? How do you get this message out? See, the way we would think is, well, we would have to touch as many people as we could to try to get the message out, right? This is the whole idea why, why we would go, I don't even know what you would do, because if you don't have mass marketing, how do you get the message out? We, we think that mass marketing is the most effective. It's the reason why anytime anything needs to happen, even just in our church, not, not throughout the whole world, but people in our church who go, can we get everyone to know about this? They think that me talking about it for an announcement is the most effective. What they don't realize is that you all tune out during announcements. You don't listen, right? You're like reading other stuff and checking your email again or what? I mean, you're just, you're not there. So, so they don't realize that that's actually not that effective. We think mass communication is the way to do it. Well, Jesus changed the world. Jesus had a message that he wanted to go all over the world, and it has. But the strategy Jesus used is different than we would think. The strategy Jesus used, you might even say, that's crazy. That makes no sense. That's why we've called this message Jesus' crazy plan to change the world. Here was Jesus' strategy. Invest deeply in a few people for a long time. Invest deeply in a few people for a long time. Now, Jesus interacted with multitudes, but he invested deeply with a few 12 disciples and and three, Peter, James, and John, even more than the other 12. He invested deeply in a few for a long time, and it changed the world. His strategy was counter how we would think. We would think, we got to let everybody know. Jesus said, I want to make sure that there are a few people who really buy in. And if that happens, it'll change the world. Here's what Robert Coleman says in his excellent book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. He says this, Jesus devoted most of his remaining life on earth to these few disciples. He literally staked his whole ministry on them. The world could be indifferent toward him and still not defeat his strategy. It even caused him no great concern when his followers on the fringes of things gave up their allegiances when confronted with the true meaning of the kingdom. But he could not bear to have his disciples, his close disciples, miss his purpose. Though he did what he could to help the multitudes, he had to devote himself primarily to a few men rather than the masses so that the masses could at last be saved. This was the genius of his strategy. 
right? There's these moments when, when Jesus has an encounter with someone and they say, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Or he teaches something and they're like, gosh, this feels difficult. And if what you thought was that I got to get as many people to, to know this and to hear about this, right? Then, then what you would see Jesus doing would be like, no, wait, don't go, don't leave, don't, don't, no, I need you. I got a message. I, I can't lose anybody. But people go, Jesus, uh, what must I do to be saved? He says, sell everything you have. And they're like, I don't think I can do that. And he doesn't go, okay, well, never mind. Let's lower the bar. Just whatever you want. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't chase people down. Why? Because his goal was to change the world. And he knew it would happen by investing deeply in a few people for a long period of time. This is Jesus' strategy for making disciples for making followers of Christ. This was his strategy for changing the world. He tells us what the strategy is to be in Matthew chapter 28. This is what we read. This is known as the Great Commission. There's a couple of parts of Scripture, parts of Jesus' teaching, that uh, for whatever reason, the church over the centuries has begun to call it the Great Something. So we have the Great Commandment, where Jesus says, Love God with all that you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. Then you have the great commission, which is here in Matthew 28. These are things that are not ancillary. They're not fringe. They're not, eh, I don't know if I want to prioritize that as I follow Jesus. These are things that are at the heart of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Just as much as it would be in your interest as a follower of Christ to love God with everything and love your neighbors yourself, as core as that is to Christianity, what we're going to read in Matthew 28 is just as core. You cannot follow Jesus obediently if you're not committed to what Jesus says here in Matthew 28. It's a big deal. He gathers all the disciples together. This is after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and he's about to ascend. He gathers them together on a mountain. Interestingly, in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's encouraging, I hope, if you're a person that's ever struggled with doubt. We often think, oh, you can't doubt. If you're a real Christian, you can't have any questions. Well, these guys had been with Jesus for a long time, had seen him dead, had seen him resurrected, and they're still like, ah, I don't know. Okay, so, so let's have a little sympathy for those of you who are working through those doubts and those questions. But then here's what Jesus tells them. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a promise. All the authority, heaven and earth. I'm the king of everything. So, so in what I'm about to tell you, remember, you can't escape from my lordship. I'm lord over all of it. All authority is mine. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Then here's another promise. It's bracketed with promises. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, in light of the truth that I am king over all and that I promise to be with you through all, I want you to devote your life to making disciples. 
That's the main verb in this sentence. There's other words that, that often people will think are the main verb or you know, emphasize the idea of go, right? If you've ever heard a, a missions kind of sermon, it's go, 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 go. And, 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 and that's part of it. He's really saying as you go through all of your life, make disciples. And the way you make disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's teaching them about the gospel. And, and they respond in faith, and you incorporate them into the family of God. And then verse 20, you teach them to observe how much? All. So the process of making disciples never stops. Because, because until you're perfectly obeying all that Jesus commanded, you need more discipleship. You need more growth. This is Jesus' plan. Go, therefore, and make Disciples. A disciple is simply a follower. It's a learner. Someone that hitches their wagon to Jesus. By the way, a disciple is not like a higher level of Christian. Like there's Christians and then there's disciples. People talk about it like that. That's not true. Disciple and Christian in the Bible, those words are used interchangeably. Make disciples of all nations. That's Jesus' strategy, and that's Jesus' strategy for us. Now, I think this is an important thing, not only because uh, this is so crucial to Jesus' uh, ministry and mission, but it's also uh, interesting to me how similar this is to what many of us have in our experience, which is the idea of parenting. If you're a parent, do you know what your goal as a parent is? To make disciples. It's, it's not just to provide a nice home and a safe environment and an opportunity for children to learn and to grow. and It's all those things for sure, but why? To make disciples. Your job as a parent, your job as a grandparent is to, to grow up little people who grow into big people and want to hitch their wagon to Jesus. I hope you realize that if you're a parent. I think sometimes there are our parents, and probably not many of you, but some that, that sometimes think, well, that's why I come to church, is to drop my kids off with the blue shirt people, and they turn them into disciples. Well, they're working hard to play their role. But as a parent, you've got to play your role. Because usually what happens is, is you know, we get them for an hour, hour and a half, and, and then they have all week for you to undo everything that we did, Right? That's, by God's grace, not the case. We're partnering together to, to work together to help you make disciples. But this is what parenting is about. This is why, you know, I, I think it's really important that people have good, uh, good, good ideas about what parenting is because the way you parent is very similar to the way you'll make disciples. It's also why if you're here and you're single or you're not yet married or you don't have children and you'd like to, this is also why you need to understand making disciples. Because someday, if you do have children, if you do have a family like that, you will need those same skills to be effective as a parent. This is the commission. This is the goal. This is the strategy. This is something that each of us will give an account for. How are you doing at making disciples? Who in your life would point to you as a significant figure that is poured into them in such a way that they're now following Christ closer because of you. 
I remember sitting with um, a guy in, in college. I was a freshman in college at, at Illinois, and I had met this guy named Chris Porter, and Chris was a, a, a leader with Athletes in Action, which was a college ministry for athletes. And um, we sat down at, the, at a McDonald's, and I'd met him maybe once before, and we sat down at McDonald's uh, at U of I, and he said to me something very weird. He said, I can't wait to meet all the great-grandchildren I have through you. I think I was 18 or 19 at that point. Only the way he said it was like, brother, I can't wait to meet all the great-grandchildren I have through you. And I'm going, what am I supposed to do with that exactly? This is a weird thing to say. And then he took me to 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the idea that what you have learned from me, entrust faithful men who will teach others. And what he said is, listen, he says, I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to pour into you, but my expectation is that it doesn't stop with you. And you're going to pour into other men, and those men will pour into other men, and those men will pour into other men. And someday in heaven, I will meet spiritual great-grandchildren that I've never met, but that I played a part in because of my investment in you. And so I will invest in you, but it cannot stop with you. What great-grandchildren will you meet in heaven because of your investment in other people? That's what this is about. And so if you are at the point of feeling inadequate about that and feeling like, man, I don't know if I'm very good at that and I can't think of a lot of different people, I, I, I want to tell you, you're not alone. That's how all of us feel. If you feel inadequate about the goal of making disciples, all that means is that you see things clearly because you are inadequate. You're inadequate to parent. You're inadequate to be a grandparent. You're inadequate to be a spiritual leader. I'm inadequate to be a pastor. Scripture says, who is sufficient for these things? Nobody. So this is why this process of making disciples grows our faith because it casts us onto the Lord. It helps us see, Lord, I I have nothing to offer apart from your grace. And so that's why it grows our faith. And so what I want to do is I want to take the rest of our time and I want to give you um, the four T's of disciple making. Four T's of disciple making. If you are a parent, a grandparent, or if you just want to make a difference in someone's life, if you apply these four T's, it will help you as you seek to make disciples. I first uh, heard these concepts um, kind of synthesized from Tim Mon, who's the lead pastor at, at Redemption Gilbert. Um, and then um, I think he might have gotten them just straight from 1 Thessalonians, because that's where I see these uh, principles in particular. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians. We'll camp there for the rest of our time. That's page 986, if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, Paul had planted, the Apostle Paul had planted the, Thessalon- uh, the Thessalonican, Thessalonian church. Um, he had planted the gospel there. There had been a great deal of persecution. Uh, he then followed up by sending Timothy to check on them and then followed up by writing a letter. He then writes another letter, 2 Thessalonians. He has a real heart for these people, and you see this. And in chapter 2, it's really kind of a manual for here's how you invest your life in other people. Interestingly, since we've been talking about parenting, he uses a couple different parenting analogies and says that making disciples and shepherding people is like being a parent. So that's where we get a little bit of that idea from. But here are four T's, four things that if you do these, 
Even if you don't tell people you're doing them, if you do these over time, God will use it. Number one, the first thing that you need uh, in making disciples is truth. Truth. Making disciples is not making disciples of you. It's making disciples of Jesus. Right? So it's not just follow me. It's follow me as I follow Christ. And you might be smart, and you might be funny, and you might be winsome, but, we don't, but, but, but giving someone all of that, all of your opinions and your ideas, doesn't shape them into a disciple of Jesus. What they need is, is truth from Jesus. And notice, I'm going to read the first uh, few verses here, and notice as we read it, notice how many times the Apostle Paul talks about declaring or proclaiming something. Specifically, notice how many times he mentions declaring the gospel. 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 2. He says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. you see that? Declare the gospel of God. For our appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. He's saying, listen, we needed you to know something. We needed you to hear the gospel of God. We, we had to speak this truth. He talks about in verse 9 that, that they proclaimed it. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. That's our message is the gospel of God. And you got to get this. The gospel is news, not advice. What's the difference between advice and news? What's advice? Advice, advice might be good advice. It might be bad advice. It, it's, it's, it's an opinion. It's you should. Have you thought about? Why don't you? Here's some steps to take. I know how to solve this. Right? It's advice. And advice isn't all bad. But, but the main thing people need is not advice. Most of the time, people know what they need to do. Right? You know you're supposed to eat more broccoli and less white bread. Right? You know that, but you don't want to. So the issue is rarely advice. Like, I don't know enough information. It's usually, I don't have the power. And the power comes in news. News is not you should. It's, look at what happened. It's not, you should, why don't you? It's, look at what Jesus did. Remember who he is. Remember how much you're loved. Remember who you are in him. Remember that he's made you a new creature in Christ. Remember that that's where your hope is. That's Paul's message. And if you want to invest in your children, in your grandchildren, in the people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in the people in this church, if you want to make disciples, they need news, not just advice. So truth has to be part of the equation. The second thing that has to be there is touch. Touch. They need truth, and they need touch. You see this picture in verses 7 and 8. 
Again, think about how connected disciple-making and parenting are. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now, you got to remember, this is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who was shipwrecked, the guy who was beaten, the guy who was left for dead, the guy who got knocked down and stood up and said, hit me again. Right? And, and, and what's his approach? He's saying, when I want to really invest in somebody, listen, there's an element of this where we were gentle, like a nursing mother. I can't think of a more gentle picture than a nursing mother. It's a picture of gentleness. It's a picture of touch. Verse 8, he says, So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Saying, listen, making disciples is not just about saying truth. It's about sharing your whole life, your very self. It involves touch. You know, babies need touch to grow. Touch stimulates glands in their bodies that help them grow strong and that help them grow emotionally secure. Some of you are fostering or have adopted children that didn't receive touch. And you know the challenge that comes with that. We need touch to grow. One of my favorite examples of this is Jesus uh, healing a man with leprosy. See, Jesus healed a bunch of people different ways, sometimes with just words, sometimes he spit into mud and he, or into dirt and he'd make mud and wipe it in their eyes. Or do, I mean, you're never exactly sure what, what he did. And there was this one point where a guy had leprosy. Leprosy was this skin disease where your skin would kind of flake off and eat itself. And, and it was thought to be highly contagious and, and, and highly unclean. And so people who had it would, would have to be social outcasts. And if they were ever around people, they'd have to yell out, unclean, unclean. Stay away from me, right? And so they had no friendships. They were totally cut off from a community, totally cut off from family. They were alone in every sense of the word. And so when Jesus encounters a man with leprosy in Mark chapter 1, he says, what do you want? And he says, will you make me clean? And it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean." He could have just said the words, right? But he saw that what the guy needed was touch. And if you want to make a lasting difference in someone's life, it can't just be truth. It has to also be touch. This means time. This means care. This means concern. This means listening. I'm trying to grow in this, as I think about my parenting and my disciple-making, I was around some guys the other day who are pastor's kids, and they talked about the challenges of being pastor's kids, and I've never been a pastor's kid, but I have a couple, and I'd prefer to not screw them up, <laughs> though that's part of parenting is you just get to screw your kids up. That's how it goes. Um, but talking with them, I, I, I was saying, help me out. Help me understand. Help me to Help me to do a better job of this. And they said, you know, the th one of the things that was frustrating was my dad just didn't listen. He was a preacher. He talked. He didn't like to listen. So I'm trying to grow in my listening. So you think about the people you invest in. You, maybe you got all kinds of ideas. you got all kinds of truth. You're right. But do they know that you love them? If you cared? 
Have you listened? Have you connected with them emotionally? Truth and touch. Third, we need tension. We need tension. Tension is defined as the state of being stretched or strained. And tension often is the thing that we run from, but tension is often a very good thing if it means you're being stretched or strained into the image of Jesus. We've often said here, this has been a a major thing I've even seen in this series, as we've challenged you to pray and challenged you to give and challenged you in different ways, is I think that the stretching, that, that, that challenge is something we grow through. We grow through risk. We rarely grow through things that are just comfortable and easy. This is why if you want to grow your body stronger, you have to lift more weight eventually than you're capable of doing because it strains. It provides the right kind of tension, and then your body grows. And if you want to help someone grow, there needs to be tension. And listen, if you're investing in someone's life enough that you're involved and you listen and you know them and you care, right? if there's touch, there's going to be moments of tension. The question is, will you enter into it or will you run? This is often why I think many parents um, don't um, enter into tension. Is they want to be friends with their kids, not parents. Listen, if you parent your kids now, the day will come when you get to be friends with them. If you try to be their friend now, mostly, that probably won't happen later. I remember a couple weeks ago, I was putting Abby to bed, and I said to Abby, I said, Abby, we're friends, aren't we? Like, we're friends. She said, she didn't get the question. She's like, well, you're my dad. I thought, that's right. (laughs) And someday we'll be great friends. We're we're friends now to a degree, but my goal is not to be her friend. My goal is to be her dad, which means there are times when you enter into tension, This is what it is to love a person. Proverbs 27 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy blows smoke. An enemy just tells you everything you want to hear. That's why Paul said we didn't come with flattery or a pretext for greed. We came to share the gospel in our very lives. And wounds from a friend can be trusted. Right? If you know that someone has invested truth in you and, and touch in you and they've listened and they've cared, you're, you're often much more eager to receive tension. Leviticus 19 is where we get the idea that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. You know what it says in the verse right before that? You know what comes in the verse right before love your neighbor as yourself? It says this, Do not hate your brother in your heart, Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. You know what that's saying? You hate your brother in your heart when you see something that is about to destroy him and you don't frankly tell him. And thus you share in his guilt. Now get this, this does not mean that you need to put on your junior Holy Spirit badge and point out every sin that everybody has, but when there are glaring things in the few people that you are called to invest in and you don't point them out, 
you're hating your brother. You're not being a friend. You're multiplying kisses. Number four is time. Truth, touch, tension, and time. Now, for sure, when you think of time, uh, you think of just the investment of time. And, and I think for many people, uh, giving time is more difficult than giving money uh, or giving anything else. If there's anything that most of us feel stretched for, it's time. And so there's definitely the idea of if you want to invest in someone, you need to give them time. But what I mean specifically with this idea is that it takes a duration of time to see real growth happen. Right? This means over a period of time, for Jesus it was three years with his disciples. He spent three years with these four guys, and even Jesus lost one. Which means there are going to be times where you invest in people, and you pour into them, and it doesn't turn out the way you want. And you just go, you know what, even Jesus lost one. But investing in a few people in a deep way for an extended period of time. Because I don't know about you, my life isn't changed overnight just because I became a follower of Christ. Now, parts of it did. Right? Like I, had some, I had some language habits that I just could not kick. And the moment I trusted Christ, that went away. And depending on the company I keep, it's trying to come back. But, but, but for the most part, I, I, don't, I don't battle that. I don't struggle that anymore. There are all kinds of other things I wish had been that decisive. Right? I know some people who go, I, I could never, ever quit smoking, and then the moment I got saved, bam, it's gone. And some of you are going, oh, if only. Right? Or a battle with food, or a battle with purity. or a Listen, growth, spiritually, change takes time. And so we need to have patience as we work with people. We need to have patience as we invest in them. We need to remember that God is patient with us. And, and, and often in our Christian life, we feel like a yo-yo, just up and down, up and down. Things are great, things are bad. Things are great, things are bad. And, and, and after a while, you go, am I making any progress at all? But the example that I heard recently that I found very helpful is the idea that, yeah, you're like a yo-yo, but you're a yo-yo walking up the stairs. So it's it's up and down, it's up and down, but it's all along the way there's growth, there's progress. And if you will invest in somebody with truth and touch and tension over a long period of time, it will make a huge difference. Because the people that you've invested in will be strong and able to do it again. And you will get to be part of Jesus' crazy plan to change the world. It'll grow your faith. It'll increase your dependence on him. And you get to be part of the greatest thing that Jesus is building in the world, his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant mercy to us. Thanks for the news of the gospel that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, thank you for that news. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts to invest in others, to invest in our children and grandchildren, but even beyond there, to, 
to have a few faithful people who are hungry to grow and that we would be eager, whether in formal ways or informal ways, to give them truth and touch and tension and time. God, thank you that you give all of those things to us through your church, through the body of Christ. We pray we'd be faithful in our obedience to this great commission, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.